understanding God's plans for the ages this morning. There we go. Okay. Uh, before I dig deep into that, I want to, yeah, let's see. There it is. I told you I've been traveling. All right. I thought it would be good to give you a report on what's happening. And I've done uh, five Passover Seder presentations in the last month. And here I am in Alabama doing one, all right? And uh, we had a great time there with a supporting church as well in Alabama. And we praise the Lord for the opportunity to do Passover Seders. I have done one here once. Uh, I call them Christ in the Passover because that's what it's all about to me as I look at the Passover itself. I start not in the book of Exodus, but I start in the Gospels with Jesus in the upper room with the disciples and they're observing the Passover. In fact, Jesus said, I desire with great desire to eat this Passover with you. So the night before he died, he was not at the Last Supper, but he was at the last Passover that he was doing. And so he shared with us his heart when he said, I desire with great desire. In other words, Jesus was very passionate that night to be involved in a Passover Seder presentation. And when you come to the third cup, is the cup of redemption. And that, of course, is where we get communion. And there's another part of that called the afikomen. Interesting part, because it's the only Greek word in the Hebrew Passover Haggadah. Afikomen, translated in the Greek, means I came, he came, that type of thing, depending on grammatically the way it's used. And that, of course, is a piece of matzah that is broken in a regular Passover Seder, but the night in the upper room with Jesus. Jesus said, this is my body which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. And so it's a wonderful, a wonderful analogy with Christ in the Passover. And they really love it. Another thing that we, we did here, we have a little tasting plate where you get to taste some of the items that is on a Seder plate. And that was unique to this particular experience. And also, I, I wanted to let you know, this, have you gotten this issue of Israel my glory yet, all right? Well, if you have, there is an interesting article on page 10, all right? Page 10. In fact, I don't know how this is going to turn out. Ah, there it is. Interesting article on page 10, and it's about 
my ministry over the last 13 years with the Students for Israel at Cedarville University, okay? And so after 14 years, I finally made it into Israel. My glory is doing something important, all right? So you can read that, all right? Most of you know that I'm on campus and started Students for Israel, but this was unique. It was about the sukkah, putting up the sukkah in Sukkot last fall, and you know all about that, but you thought you might want to read that as well the, when you get the article. Turn to Isaiah chapter 46, if you would, please. Isaiah chapter 46, understanding God's plans for the ages. I want to start here, and this is going to be a very topical message this morning. I know I'm very exegetical, but I just felt like and prayed about it that this is something that I needed to share this morning, understanding God's plans for the ages. In Isaiah 46, I want to read here verses 9 and 10. Remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure." Let's bow for a word of prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are God. We thank you for your plans. And Lord, in our Christian walk, your plans need to be very, very important to us. And your plans are revealed in the Bible, and we call it Bible prophecy. And may we be challenged in our hearts about Bible prophecy today and the importance of it in our lives. And may we go out changed and fully committed to what you're doing in the present and what you're planning on doing in the future, knowing truly that it all is very important to each and every one of us. We pray for Pastor Dave that you would bring quick healing to him and also be with Diane as well during this time. In Christ's name I pray, amen. When I was in high school, I did a, a study in an English class on Nostradamus. Some of you might remember that name, and uh, he was kind of very popular back then. He was born in the early 16th century. Nostradamus has become one of the world's most widely known and read prophets. His po poetic yet cryptic quatrains are claimed by some to conceal information about future events. 942 quatrains, which he organized in centuries, all right? And, and it's interesting that uh, his prophecy, 
you say, quote unquote. I, as I studied it, I realized it was very general. All right? And it was not specific in any way, shape, nor form. And it could be interpreted for any different kind of historical events. And I thought to myself, well, that's not very helpful if you think about it, okay? And, and so I walked away from that completely, but I bring it up this morning because there are those who are still searching in their lives for some kind of understanding of the present and of the future, and many times, they go to false prophecies like this. Let me point out next is, uh, let me go back one, Nostradamus, Scientology, all right, I'll get it right. And here, of course, you have L. Ron Hubbard and all of his writings, and of course, Scientology is very popular in Hollywood as well, and many Hollywood actors are followers of Scientology, and you could probably remember and know some of those names, but there are eight levels before the truth of Scientology can be fully revealed. The highest stage is to achieve operating Thetan levels, or OTs for short. Now, <clears throat> obviously, one is just trying to all right, reach the highest level. And there's nothing really there once you get there except you're really important in Scientology. So you, you become famous, and you could probably even think of some that are already there that are Hollywood stars. And, and so you have this type of future for your life. Uh, next is Islam. Now, Islam has its own Messiah called the Mahdi. And the Mahdi is believed to be a future Muslim world leader who will not only rule over the Islamic world, but also the non-Muslim world as well. The Mahdi is said to lead a world revolution that will establish a new Islamic world order throughout the entire earth. Now, <laughs> that sounds very similar to something in the Bible with a Jewish Messiah, does it not? Only this is a Muslim Mahdi that we're talking about here that is eventually going to rule over the entire world. Now, true Islamists, this is the way they look at life. And this is what they're looking for is a return of a Muslim Mahdi in their world. 
And that is the best that we can get out of a future there. Now, also, I want to point out in the next slide, Buddhism in our world. There are those that are truly followers of Buddha. Interestingly enough, if you look at it closely, there is no self or soul which carries on after death. Death is it, in other words. Instead, we're merely a collection of groups of grasping which are in a continual state of flux. Now that sounds exciting and something that really has answers for me and my family for the future. That the best that we're going to do is be in a continual state of flux. Well, for most of us, and it's been a long time since I had kids, but they, when they were toddlers, we were almost every day in a continual state of flux. You know what I mean? There were those days. And so, honestly, this doesn't sound too exciting. I mean, after all, you know, rebirth refers to a process to them whereby beings go through a succession of lifetimes and one of the many possible forms from conception to death and then back again and then back again and well, basically, you just keep coming back. And I thought, well, that doesn't sound too exciting. Why do I want to keep coming back here, right? And so they, they live their lives with this constant struggle to come back again. And next, I'm pointing out here Hinduism, very similar. Hinduism teaches that the soul goes on repeatedly being born and dying, reincarnation, when after much spiritual practice, a person finally realizes his or her own divine nature, the person will not be reborn anymore. Well, there's future when I become God. All right? Interestingly enough, isn't that what Satan tempted Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden? is to become like gods? Well, the goal of Hinduism is to be that, to be another god among many gods in the universe. And, of course, their, their place of ultimate realization. I like that term. They use a lot of ultimate realization. You know, I'm ultimately real. I mean, I'm already there, I guess. But my wife doesn't worship me in any way, shape, nor form. So, ultimate realization. And, and so we have these religions running across the globe. And uh, many are seeking their answers for the present and for the future. 
But there are many who are not religious in any way, shape, nor form. And I call that the black hole future. In other words, existentialism would be a best term, terminology for this. And I run into a lot of existentialism uh, along the way in talking to people. Existentialism is, quote, the explicit conceptual manifestation of an existential attitude. Well, that's clear as mud. All right. But in other words, hey, we're, we're going to look at life existentially. If you do that, that begins with a sense of disorientation and confusion in the face of an apparently meaningless or absurd world. Whew. In other words, life, all right, has a sense of disorientation and confusion, all right, and is meaningless. I mean, the Bible even warns us about this, about the existential philosophy where you eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow you die, right? And that's as good as it gets. Life is as good as eating, drinking, and being merry because we're just going to die soon anyway. So uh, the best of a daily schedule is breakfast, lunch, and supper, right? And, of course, what you drink along with breakfast, lunch, and supper, and to be quite honest with you, to cope with the meaningless, they drink a lot of alcohol along the way. And <clears throat> anyone that has you know, that kind of addiction to alcohol, their life truly is meaningless. And they need some answers. And that's why this is happening. Now, to me, that pretty much wraps up my world that I live in as I look at it. And all the all the things that go along with that. You could come from all these different directions. And in America, to be quite honest with you, existentialism rides supreme, if you think about it. And you've got a lot of family or friends that live out their lives, all right, to satisfy themselves, because soon they're going to die. Turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3. Second Peter chapter 1 and verse 3. This next slide comes to us from 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3, all right? My question was, who to believe? Who are we going to believe? Well, in verse 3, 
<coughs> we read very clearly here, as his divine power has given to us some things that pertain to life and godliness. Are you awake? What? All things. Whenever somebody preaches to you, you better make sure they read the Bible right because that's the final authority in faith and practice. I wrote it to wake you up to realize what this says. We have in the Holy Scriptures, all right, that God has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Now, we're not omniscient. We don't know everything. But God has made sure that in the 66 books of the Bible and revelations that he has given to us, that he's given to us all things that we need for our lives and for our godliness. Now, you want to know what God has for your life? You want to know how to respond to things in your life? You want to know where your life is going? It's right here in the Bible. And you need to study it. You need to study it. I, I think it's also interesting <coughs> that, that many come to life and they ask themselves, who am I? Who am I? Or why am I here? Now, I learned over the years that that's a very simple answer for me. And I don't try to make it complicated, and I definitely don't try to stress myself up inside and my mind trying to fit into something that isn't true. And it just makes you more upset. And so I simplify it. Well, the Bible says very clear that I was formed in my mother's womb, and God formed me to who I am. And you say, well, what's so big deal about that? Well, you do realize in society right now that's one of the biggest issues in school, excuse me, in school districts and in politics and in sports now. Uh, just who I am. God formed me in my mother's womb, David said in Psalms, right? Of who I am, a man or a woman. You see, I don't have no problem with that. I'm not going to fight against God on that. And the parents that God gave me. I didn't have anything to do with that. I didn't have any choice on that. But I am thankful today because God gave me wonderful Christian parents. Every child here today, if God has given you wonderful Christian parents, you're living the best life on earth right now. And don't fight so much against them, all right? They've been through more than you've been through, that's for sure. 
Yeah, they don't necessarily know how to do everything on an iPhone, but <laughs> they know how to go to work every day, pay the bills, and buy you that iPhone. So you get my point here? I make it very simple. And those parents raised me in the church. And in the church, all right, the church itself, the pastors and the Sunday school teachers became very important in helping me have, all right, everything I need pertaining to life and godliness. And that's why church is important. Because God has given... See, I make it very simple. I don't struggle every day with who am I. I know who I am. I'm a born-again Christian trying to serve the Lord in the last days. And I stick with that. Are you? Are you a born-again Christian this morning? Are you serving the Lord in the last days? Perilous times have come. Yeah, that's for sure. We all know that. That doesn't mean you stop serving the Lord just because perilous times are here. That means you don't give up and keep doing it. We have a battle on our hands. And God has given us, given this to us. And I'm thinking, wow. God knew we, what we needed, and so he gave it to us. And as I grew up in the church and went to Sunday school, and my Sunday school teachers taught me the lessons of the Bible, and they used these flannel graphs, all right? How many of you here this morning know what a flannel graph is? All right. Flannel graph, right? How many of you are Sunday school teachers and use flannel graph? That's a good one, too. There you go, see? All right. But it was always interesting. I had two good friends. Dennis and Mickey, and, and we were the same age, and we were in the same Sunday school class all the time, and uh, being young boys, and uh, if we lived today, we'd be labeled ADHD because we were all over the place, and bless her heart, she faithfully came with her lesson studied and her flannel graph, gave her lesson to us why we were fidgeting all the time and she probably thought we didn't listen to a word right well teachers those boys actually do listen and one every after each lesson after each lesson she would always end with well if you would like to accept Jesus into your heart I'd like for you to stick around and just accept Jesus into your heart. And of course, she would pray and we'd shoot right out there, you know, because you got to go outside between Sunday school and church. You got to go out there and run and play. All right? 
hey, you're a boy, you knew what I was talking about. You got to run, you got to play, because you got to come back in and sit down again. You know what's going on. One morning, I stayed right there, knelt at a piano bench, and accepted Jesus as my Savior. Okay? So I don't struggle with who I am, where I came from. I, I keep it very simple. And you know what I know what? Where I'm going. I know where I'm going. Now, in those lessons, I remember when I got to be a teenager, okay, I used to sit in the back, all right, because it's easier to sleep back there and nobody could see you. We had a long church, pews in the back. We'd sit, are you guys sleeping back there? Are you awake? They're sleeping back there, okay. And, and I'd fall asleep, and, but we had this evangelist come. And he set up this, these, this huge chart made on, he drew it on bedroom sheets, all right? And, and he hung it up across the front. It, and those of you that really study Bible prophecy like I did, they were C.R. Lakin's uh, charts. And, and I went the first night and he started laying all this out. And for the first time in my life, I realized that God is there, and he's been doing a lot, and he's doing a lot now, and he's got plans to do a lot in the future. And that really hit me as a teenager, that God was really in control of things in my life. And so... I began to study Bible prophecy. I still do it today. I speak on it, as you know. So why study Bible prophecy? Well, number one, it informs us about the most important subject in the world, God's plans for us. Now, you notice what I said here. The most important subject in the world... I did not say, my plans for me, all right? It's not my plans for me. It's not my plans for me. Don't make that mistake. It's God's plans for me. God's plans for me. Trust the Lord with all thy heart, lean not unto his own understanding, and all thy ways acknowledge him, and he will direct thy paths. I remember when I was in high school and graduating, that was a big thing for me. That's a big thing for teenagers. I didn't figure out where they're going to go next. I was just talking to some of the people I graduated it with and from high school in 1972. Some of them went off to college. Some, they had big plans. What I found out in talking with them, they never ever did what they planned. It was always something else that they ended up doing in life. And I thought, yeah, 
He will direct our paths, right? Wherever they might go. And so I want to study the Scriptures because it truly helps me to understand that most important decision in my life today, after salvation, of course, is God's plans for me. Are you doing what God has planned for you in your life? And then, of course, point number two, it convinces us that there really is a God who is in control. Now, I don't know about you, but the way things are going around the globe, I want to know that somebody is in control. I mean, with the chaos and the confusion that we all see on our nightly news screens or on our iPhones, wherever we get our news, we begin to wonder, who's in control here of this world that we're living in, right? And so... God is in control. That's who's in control. And I, I think of the Bible prophecy that I, I teach from Daniel chapter 9 and verses 24 to 27. As you lay it out, the 70 weeks of Daniel and all the years and the gap where the church is and then the final seven weeks, all right, or the seven years of the book of Revelation, there's an exact point there in which the scriptures tell us the exact day that Jesus walks into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. The exact day. Now, I don't know about you, but that sold me right there. Or how about this one? All right. You have in Zechariah 9.9 that... Before Jesus was going to walk into Jerusalem, there was a foal of a colt, a donkey baby, basically. And he rode in on that. And I'm thinking to myself, do you realize that God had such control over the animal kingdom that that, that colt was born just exactly at the right time to be there so that Jesus could ride in on it? Who's in control, right? God is in control. And that's what's fascinating about the Holy Scriptures here. And then, of course, I want to point out to you all right, that it's literal fulfillment teaching us that we should interpret God's promises literally. All right? In fact, us, us theologians say consistent, literal, historical, grammatical. All right? But once again, all right, Zechariah says he's going to ride in on a donkey, and he rides in on a donkey. Now, what does that prove? It's a literal interpretation of Zechariah in the Old Testament because it was fulfilled by Jesus in the New Testament. And there's some 100 prophecies of the Old Testament about Jesus' first coming that were fulfilled by Jesus exactly at his first coming. Now that's a literal interpretation of Old Testament prophecy. And so I believe it. 
because it's evidential in history that those things were fulfilled. Now, you say, okay, you know what's exciting about that? If he filled, fulfilled all of those literally, he's going to fulfill all of those of his second coming literally as well. So you got a lot to look forward to about what's happening next. And that's what's exciting about Bible prophecy. What's God going to do today? What's God going to do today? And it gets exciting for us that way. Then, of course, it helps the Christian to avoid many false teachings. I just threw a few at you at the very beginning in introduction, right? Well, you need to stay away, stay far away from false teaching today. And then, of course, it helps prepare or it encourages evangelistic outreach in the church. Or provides hope for a hopeless world. Provides hope for a hopeless world. Now, whether we realize it or not, right now in this world, there's a lot of people that are hopeless. And do you realize that we have the good news for the hopeless in this world? Young people, you have the good news for the hopeless friend that you have. You have the good news for the hopeless friend that you have. And you know what I'm talking about. Okay? Let him know what's going on in this world. It, it challenges us to live godly lives. Now, now, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians about standing before the judgment seat of Christ. Christians have to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Now, I don't know about you, but that's good. And it says that our, our lives will be made manifest. It's like standing before Jesus and he's going to put everything up on the screen. Is somebody care about the decisions we made? Is somebody keeping track about the actions that we do? Yes. Okay? All those others don't care about your decisions, don't care about your actions. But we need to live godly lives in these last days in particular. Because why? Because somebody might in the church might see me? No. Because the pastor might hear about it? No. Because Jesus knows about it. I told my sons once they got older and they were on their own a lot and everything, I said, look guys, I said, I don't know what you're doing, but Jesus does and you've got to answer to him one day. Not me. And that's right. We better be living godly lives. And then lastly, encourages evangelistic outreach in the church. Uh, let, let me uh, move forward here. All right, this, this is the chart, a little modernized, that I was talking about.
today in digital form here than uh, Larkin's chart, but <sighs> and, and here we're at, whoa, I hit it one time and it went boom, boom, boom. Here we're at the church age right there. Let's start right there. Okay, let's start right there at the church. We're looking forward to the rapture, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Seven-year tribulation period, the second coming of Jesus Christ, the millennial kingdom, the thousand-year millennial reign when Jesus returns and the whole world, he, he, he reigns over the whole world and the whole world becomes right again. We had the original message, all right, on the world becoming right again. And then, of course, you, you have the great white throne judgment here. It's the great white throne. Now, we're here, we're here at the church. All these things have to happen before the great white throne judgment, right? Now, the great white throne judgment is, is in, well, let's turn to Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20. In verse 11 through 15. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. I saw the dead, small and great. All right, that's everyone that has died. Small and great, meaning without God, without Jesus in their lives. Standing before God, books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one, according to their, his works. Death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. Anyone not found written in the book of life was cast in the lake of fire. Now, we're living in the church age, and if you're like me, you're looking for the rapture of the church. It's imminent meaning it could happen at any moment. And then, of course, the seven-year tribulation period, Revelation 6 through 19, it's also in the Old Testament. And then, of course, the second coming of Jesus Christ, one chapter back described in Revelation 19, right? And the millennial kingdom, and Jesus Christ's rule and reign over the whole earth, now, we believe all those things are going to happen. And they're still yet future. But do we believe in a great white throne judgment? And those that are not written in the book of life or accepted Jesus as their Savior from their sin are cast into the lake of fire for eternity. What's the motivation for evangelism in, in the church today? To me, it's Bible prophecy.
If I believe that is real, I'm motivated to share the gospel. How about you? Right? And so, let's see what I got here. Great white throne. All right? And then, those of us that have accepted Christ as our Savior, the new heavens, the new Jerusalem, and the new earth is eternity for us. You ought to know where you're headed. Ultimately, you're headed here. Ultimately, you have an everlasting life in the new heavens, new earth, and the new Jerusalem. That's where you've got to be living. Have you studied it lately? That's where you're moving to. Okay? But, see the lake of fire? That's where you're headed if you haven't accepted Jesus as your personal Savior. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin has left a crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow. And this church and every other church that has grabbed hold of what we call the Great Commission is motivated because that's real. That's real in the future. Every head bowed and every eye closed. I want to wrap this up this way. I want to wrap it up this way, okay? I'd like for everyone to think right now, right now, of that person in your family, of that person that is your friend, every head bowed, every I want you to think to yourself here. You have that person? Have they accepted the Lord as their Savior? Have they accepted the Lord as their Savior? You need to be praying for them right now. You're making a commitment that the gospel is going to be shared with, shared with them. You know that person. Ask God to open a door for you to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with that person. It's not between me and you. It's between you and God right here, right now. That's all. And if you're here today, you've not accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, the lake of fire is real. And I don't want you to leave here without knowing that you're not going there. I want you to have the new heavens, new earth, and the new Jerusalem. That's what I want for you. So let's pray together. You pray for that person. All right? And I'll pray with you as well. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you so very much for the Holy Scriptures. It's prophetic genre 
and how exciting it is to see that you're still in control. You still have a plan for me. And Lord, we realize that if we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, our lives will be examined and we better be living holy and godly lives. And if we're not, please forgive us. Put us on the right path. Change our lives. And if there's someone here today that does not know Jesus as their personal Savior and Lord, we ask that you might speak to them, Lord. Draw them to the cross of Calvary. And help them not to walk out that door until they talk to myself or someone else about how to be sure about their salvation. That they might know, John said, that they have eternal life today. In Yeshua's name I pray. Amen.